The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. We are recording this in Rome, Italy today. You're tuning in now to Season 1, Episode 19, a really incredible show today. We'll be sitting down, as always, with Jenea Trudell. We've only actually got a few more episodes with Jenea as our co-host. We'll be going into a, a summer of bonus episodes here and there, followed by a brand new Season 2 with a yet-to-be-announced co-host. I know who that's going to be, but I can't tell you yet. Just know that it's going to blow your mind. The co-host of Season 2, it's just going to be a really exciting moment. But what that means is you've only got a few more episodes with the one and only Jenea Trudell. Just amazing, amazing conversation with her as always. And then we'll be sitting down with Toby Duckworth. Toby Duckworth is, in some ways, the most English friend I've ever had. Uh, He has spent not only uh, an incredible amount of time with me in Tennessee, I've been able to spend a lot of time with him back in his home country of England, and most recently, Rome, Italy, where today we talk about how every one of us is a son or daughter of the culture in which we find ourselves. In fact, we're way more affected, not just by the media that we intake, but even by the family that we're raised in, the friends that we surround ourselves by, the kind of educations that we receive. And so Culture is, in fact, worth fighting for. It is something that we have to win if we want the hearts of our young people. And so a really wonderful conversation with Toby. Uh, Just thanks so much, as always, for being a part of the Love Good podcast, being a part of our movement. We believe, really, that you are on the front lines of building a better culture. We love you guys, and we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Say Hi by Nick Fabian off of his EP, Stuck in My Head, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down as always with my co-host, Janae Trudell. Hey, hey. it's good to be back as always. Yeah, so we just spent about, I don't know, at least a minute trying to say the phrase debut EP. Debut EP. And it kept coming out something silly, like (laughs) debut EP and debut And I I just couldn't get it, and so I just decided EP. But that EP from Nick was, in fact, his debut. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the coolest things, honestly, Janae, about the work that we get to do is we're always here hearing music before anyone else. I mean, even as a kid, I wanted to be on those like street teams mm-hmm. where you would help an artist on the, the release of a new album. You might get like a few days in advance digitally, and then you would like literally just like knock on doors and put up signs. And I don't think that happens anymore because social media took over. Yeah, that's true. But I do think that this whole Love Good 
element of exclusivity continues to excite me as if I was like 11 years old and discovering DC Talk for the first time. <laughs> it know? is awesome, yeah. It is awesome. I love it. Even I love if we it. can't pronounce phrases like WEP, we'll work on it later. <laughs> this is going to be a really fun conversation. Um, I'm going to try to really like contain the passion uh, even the frustration that I'm feeling right now, because we're talking today about detachment. And alongside that, you could talk about discipline. You could talk about things like fasting. I did something really, really stupid this winter. All right, I gave up coffee, and I, to this day, am not really sure why anybody would do such a thing, mm. you know? And I don't know why <laughs> and at what point I got addicted um, but I really love it. And so here's where things started. I just decided I would slowly work my way off the addiction to coffee. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, like I got down to like half a cup a day and then it was the beginning of Lent. For those who understand Lent, it's this like 40 day period before Easter where you just like give up everything fun about life, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah. I just decided I was going to do this. And a few years mm -hmm. back I did tea only. Um, for about 40 days once. And frankly, I just became addicted to tea. I think it's like caffeine that I'm addicted to. Yeah, yeah. The fact that I've just spent the last 90 seconds ranting about giving <laughs> up coffee, like it, it clearly has a hold on my heart and mm. a hold on my attention. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good thing. And I, I wonder more and more about the other things in my life that have seized my attention, my imagination, that often become even like real tyrants in terms of my memory it's just not good. And more and more I realize what I'm missing in life is detachment, fasting, mm -hmm. self-denial. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot since moving here. Um, simply because for really obvious reasons, like I just couldn't bring a lot. And I um, it was the first time, you know, in a foreign country and away from my family. Every Basically everything that's familiar that I know and love is coming to a place uh, without those things um, to people that I, I just didn't know how much I would love in a very short amount of time and how, how at home I would be here. But still the, the initial, the initial part was, was pretty terrifying. Um, and those are things that I, I don't count as, you know, until now I haven't counted as these luxuries, like family, home, a familiar, like my home country, like those, those, those have not been things that I thought I was, taking for granted or thought, you know, were owed to me in a weird way. Um, so when I stepped away from that, um, for a time, there was a deep, like you were saying, like a, a frustration and a, um, kind of a squeamish discomfort with that. Um, I'm t totally addicted to caffeine as well. <laughs> I realized that on the road with my sister and Jolissa will remember this. Um, we have Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons up in Canada. Um, it's the one, the one sorrow about America. Um, Why are Canadians so obsessed with Tim Hortons? Can we just go ahead and have that conversation? Oh, quick? it's like it's everyone's home away from home. Really? Yeah. Is Watch it the, the commercials, everyone. The uh. the Timbits, the Timbits. So they're basically the middle of the donuts, these little balls, and they are yeah, they're amazing. And then the coffee's good. And this episode of the Love Good Podcast brought, brought to you, to you by, by Tim, Tim Hortons. There yeah. we go. Open all the time and 24-7 anyway. all the time. Most of them are. Yeah, a lot of them Dang. are. So I don't know. It's just the place to go. It's like a little sanctum. The, anyway. only, the only Tim Hortons <laughs> I frequent, by the way, is the Toronto Airport. Okay. It's yes. like the international departure yeah. gate. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it is good. <laughs> I'm not quite as convinced. It's most yeah, but you're you're really into coffee. 
That's it's about it's more than that. It's more. Than <laughs> How that. could it be more than coffee? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've totally um, had things, coffee included, that I. It's kind of like a blank, like to fill in the blank of your life. Like I, I when it start when it starts um, inhibiting my ability to be happy without it, that's when it becomes something more than me. When it when I make necessities for myself, coffee, um, even being in a familiar place um if i'm like absolutely can't function and not i'm not talking about doing things you don't want to do or that aren't healthy or you're not in a place to do on purpose to make yourself uncomfortable like i never i don't want to seek out suffering and discomfort like no that's not my idea of a good time but there are times where it is the right thing um and then i know really deep down that it, i'm supposed to do that and if i cannot be okay and fulfilled and settled and uh, and content without those things if, if they inhibit inhibit my ability to love and uh, and to be happy then um and i'm not talking about uh, a sentimental just like the feeling of being joyful it's like a deep deep set joy um because coffee i don't simple. know helps me love people sometimes <laughs> it no especially in the morning yeah no it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's real that's real and um yeah, that, that, that's what those things are for. We need little beauties in our lives that we just enjoy for the sake that they're good in their own little way. Um, but it is healthy. It, for, for me, it's, it's become uh, kind of a daily thing, just like little, little things, um, little self-denials. And we do that without even noticing. We, you know, on the bus, we stand up for someone who we, we can see needs it more than us, even though it, it's more comfortable. Or um, we smile at someone on the street when we don't particularly feel like it or they don't understand how bad of a day we're having. Like we just do those things because we're human and we're, we're just good deep down, you know? And I think what I find is over time, the self-denial, it does become a cause for joy. I'm thinking back to the mm. three-day experience I once had in Ireland at a little place called Loch Derg where, oh man, I mean, you don't eat, you don't sleep, you pray a lot. It's just very uncomfortable. And hmm. it's Ireland, which means it's always a little bit cold and it's always kind of raining or mm -hmm. about to, you know. And yet by day three of that experience, there was this joy that was welling up in my heart. I, I can't say I'm there yet with not drinking coffee, <laughs> you know, um, but I need to be there. And part of what's really spurred this is uh, this is an, another little promotion, you know, um, seems ironic to do this in the same breath as Tim Hortons, but <laughs> there's this crazy thing that a lot of men out there are doing right now called Exodus 90. And I, for some stupid reason, thought it'd be a really good thing to do with, uh, several of my friends. We're mm -hmm. talking like cold and short showers, no alcohol, no desserts and sweets, no eating between meals, no soda or sweetened drinks, no television or movies, only music that lifts the soul to God, no televised sports, you can only use your, your computer for work or for school. Regular and intense exercise. They had the Dang. nerve to put in the word <laughs> intense exercise. Mm. No major material purchases. And they require at least seven hours of sleep hmm. a night. For 90 days, right? For 90 days, Dang. you can learn this kind of art of what they call asceticism, self-denial, detachment. All I can say is uh, by the end of these 90 days, I better be a happy man. <laughs> Because uh, I think the first 30 have got to be the hardest. Mm. I talked to a man who was on like day eight before I started this. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Mm. And they've got this nuclear option. If any one person in your group messes up, you all start back at day one. Um, I mean, it's intense. I mean, <gasps> oh. definitely check it out, exodus90.com. <laughs> 
but they say it's a great way to prepare for marriage, which is pretty cool. Hmm. A great way to discern a vocation or a calling in life, a great way to overcome addiction. The list goes on. And uh, I do think there's something really, really powerful. The very fact that I resist it with all of my being is probably part of why it's so important, the whole idea of self-denial and fasting and detachment, um, lest I go through this life thinking that I can somehow take any of this with me into the next. Mm. So, um, Janae, as always, thanks for helping me vent out loud here <laughs> in front yeah, of hundreds or thousands of that. people. <laughs> and uh, we'll do this again next week. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be awesome as always. Yeah. So thanks. Can't wait. Thanks so much. You're listening to Take Me There from Dawson Hollow's full-length debut album, Boy of My Youth. You can download that single for free at lovegoodculture.com slash free. Well, here we are sitting down with Toby Duckward. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, coming at you from Rome, Italy right now with the man himself. How are you doing, Toby? I'm doing very well, Jimmy. Well, it is such a joy to be here. Two years ago, we would have met in Alton, England. You were in your third and final year of university. I was somewhere in the country probably running a retreat and bumped into each other at the castle, if I'm not mistaken. It's a casual thing in England to, um, you know, have a little weekend retreat away at a castle. We don't have castles back home. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah, I know, I know. And uh, and here you are now living in Rome, but you've even been to Nashville uh, and kind of explored even the, the boondocks of Tennessee, as we would put it. And you've been <laughs> now a year and a half in the Eternal City. So are you an international guy? Like, what has been going on? <laughs> Well, Jimmy, it is amazing to live in the internal city. I think for me, it is seeing a clash of cultures all in one place. You know, I'm in classes with people from India, Africa, America, all over the world. And from that, we get to a real sense of we're not alone. There is a universal church that there is so much we can learn from each other about the way different people live their lives. Well, with that accent alone, I think every American would just assume we have something to learn from you, you know? <laughs> We're quite convinced that the English have a sophistication that is unparalleled. I'm really curious, what would you say are the impressions that your, your classic Englishmen would have of America, right? And I'm sure many of those sort of came to a head for you a year and a half ago. Just like I've got all my ideas about what it really means to be English, and those have in, in large part, just evaporated in all my experiences abroad. Um, often people are so much better than the stereotypes we size them up with, you know? So just curious, without, um, you know, saying too much, what is your impression of America? Mm, sure. Well, when I first think of America, I think of just wild times on roller coasters, 
Not to mention the days out at things like uh, the, ba- the baseball and the basketball. I know sports are a very big thing. Whereas in England, to be quite honest, it's not for everybody. Um, you're big eaters. I spot that. You know, every time you go somewhere, you, everyone's always eating so much. You order a child's portion and you're eating twice as much as you want. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I'd have to say, really. We do like our portions. <laughs> I have a friend from New Zealand who always says America can be captured in two words, efficiency and hype. And I know there's a lot more to us than that. But it's a funny impression that I think we give the world that we do sort of have a, a great love for food. There's no doubt about that, especially large portions. I mean, I have to say, even coming to Rome, where there's a lot of great food, uh, I'm often um, left a little hungry at the end of, <laughs> of dinner, you know? So I don't know what that's all about. Well, it is such a joy, Toby, to be here. We're we're at the venerable English College in the heart of one of the world's greatest cities. And you've been here now for about a year and a half. You're coming to a a certain mastery of the Italian language. We went out for a great dinner a couple of nights ago, so you've you've certainly found all of the local hotspots. But what's it really like? You said you got class every day with people from all over the world. There's Obviously, common threads across our humanity and across cultures, maybe even across religious backgrounds that unite us, and yet there is still something uniquely and unrepeatably beautiful about every human person and every human experience, right? Uh, But what are those common threads that you've identified over the last year and a half, living in a city and having a life that is, in fact, so very global? Sure. I think one of the biggest things for me is its simplicity. You know, when I was in England and I was even at university, I had a car. I'd jump in the car to go 200 meters up the road to the, to the corner shop to, you know, get a newspaper. Do you have newspapers? We do. <laughs> okay, I don't know whether you call them just like magazines or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'd jump in a car everywhere. And now I walk everywhere. And in just a surreal way, I think, I feel just very human in the sense that I can walk around the corner and stumble across a church that I've never even seen before. You know, there are like 20 churches in one street in Rome. I imagine, you know, in probably the seven years I will stay here, I won't have seen half of the churches in Rome or half of the other things, really, the little hideaways, the the great senses of something going on here, some history. I don't get a sense of it all, all of the time. You know, life passes you by like a million miles an hour. Um, I really get that sense, you know, there's so many times I get to the end of the day and I've been to class for, you know, six hours or something. I've done my prayers and I've done some spiritual reading and I might have popped into a church in the afternoon. But how are we really making the most of being here in the Eternal City? I don't think so. Not every day. Yeah. Um, you know, when you live in one place and your eyes are firmly on doing something, you kind of sometimes lose some of that magic that you have to remind yourself of so often. Times like Holy Week is just amazing because timetables a lot less. You know, we can meet up. You can meet up with friends. You can meet up with family. But you can also see something new. You can see something that you don't have time to do every day of the week. It's really cool. I remember one of the first extended periods of time I ever spent in Rome was taking classes at an Italian language school not too far from the Chiesa Nuova. So just across the street from you. And every morning I would have class for about four hours. From noon on, I was wide open to explore Rome. This brought me out to the catacombs of St. Callistus. This brought me to the, the living, I guess you can't call them living remains, but the mortal remains, 
the the remains of so many saints <laughs> and mystics and martyrs. Sure. You get a real sense of how incredibly rich uh, a heritage uh, a city like Rome really represents. And and yet it is almost a casual thing to bump into a, a church that happens to be a basilica that happens to have inside of it the the, the relics of an apostle. It's so true. Like even sat here right now, we're sat here in my room at the English College. Do I every day realize I'm walking up the same steps that the 44 martyrs and saints of this college walked up, you know, a few hundred years ago? I don't. You know, we have a big period of the year which really focuses around the 1st of December, the feast of our college martyrs, where we really remember that at the very top of our, you know, minds at that particular time. And a lot of us take a particular patron, like for me, St. John Walls, from not far from me, my own diocese. Um, so I have a bit of a patron at, but do I realize that I'm living in the same building he lived in? No. Yeah. It's surreal. It's amazing. And I think, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about the art of being human, you know, mm -hmm. living the fullness of our humanity, drinking every last drop of the human experience. And I think it's, it's quite obvious to say that that anybody that we would now deem a saint, and obviously anybody that the, the church has specifically recognized as a saint, is someone who has lived that art of being human well. Sure. And it's always exciting. You know, you think there's, there's people like Mother Teresa is the one I always bring up because she's so universally recognized as somebody who radiated goodness mm. and who inspired the masses and who was a woman for others, right? And there's so many more like her down through the history books. Sure. You know, what's so interesting about Mother Teresa or any of the saints, really, is they come from a culture that is their own. Uh, you know, they lived in a particular time frame with a particular set of influences, whether that be the books they were reading, the people they were chatting to, all of these things. You know, they don't necessarily have music, you know, 300 years ago when some of these saints were around on their MP3 players or iPods. But they had things that influenced them massively. And, you know, what really occurs to me right now is that we are sons and daughters of our culture. What goes on around us completely and utterly affects who we are and how we live our lives. And I don't think sometimes we realize that or recognize that in the slightest. And I think in this last year or so, I've had my eyes really open to this. Um, you know, take, for instance, these guys that I'm in class with in philosophy, uh, four of them are from uh, India, African countries. They're missionary of charity brothers. Um, they've just finished, they just finished their novitiate on the Mexico-US borderland. Um, and there they were working with people that were technically aliens in both America and Mexico. Mm. If the Americans find them, they throw them to the Mexicans. And if the Mexicans find them, they throw them in prison. So there was absolutely nothing. These people were living in like a permanent state of limbo. And these guys were ministering to them day in, day out. What was their sense of culture? Their sense of culture was people being disowned. Their sense of, oh, you know, I might get a book that somebody's had enough of, you know, after five years of their life and is thrown on a rubbish trip. You know, they didn't get everything that we get over here in the West with internet flying and books on the shelves. And so it's a completely different world for some people. And, you know, the biggest challenge for me is actually learning from the culture that surrounds me. You know, we get so many mixed messages through the media, through the videos that we watch, the 
television programs, the books that we read, the music we listen to, that completely and utterly affect us, both for the good and the bad, but they are mixed messages. Uh, one guy that I completely and utterly love is Bishop Robert Barron. Um, in his recent book, The Seeds of the Word, he talks about how culture is good. You know, there is some great things in culture and we have to learn from them. Um, you know, if we think about Jesus, Jesus is the Logos, he is the word and there are seeds of him in everybody and in our culture. And he says, before we can evangelize, before we can do anything for other people, we have to recognize the good that is in the culture. We have to recognize these seeds of the word in culture. Bishop Barron would say there is so much in life that tends towards our human flourishing. But if we don't have a guiding line, if we don't have something that moderates the things we do or don't do, then we suffer and we don't flourish as well. It's so interesting. I mean, it's obviously more and more what we are doing as a love good movement, helping people even begin to think about culture differently. The way that the culture that they live in, it, it has an effect on them just by osmosis, mm, right? I mean, sure. I was just having the most wonderful conversation with a friend of mine here in Rome. He's truly Roman, literally born and raised. And he runs an incredible organization called Cecilia, which does a lot to promote the arts. And we were talking about how desperately he wants there to be a culture for his daughter, specifically his daughter, to be raised in, where not necessarily people like Taylor Swift are held up as the ideal, um, but artists like the ones we work with, with Lovegood, Atlanta Boudreaux, people like Audrey Assad, those who are not only as brilliant as Bob Dylan and their songwriting, um, and, and as artful as Mumford and Sons, but in fact have tapped into this, this great mystery of what it really means to be human. And they're, they're an, an example worth imitating, you know? And I think that's what's really tragic is we, we do often settle for so much less um, or we kind of react so strongly against the culture that we fail to see those seeds of the word, as you put it, mm. in the culture that we do have. I'm curious, what are some of the seeds of the word that you have seen, that you have found? Maybe reading that book even opened your eyes a little bit more to all of the glory that's awaiting us, the, the beauty that's just right behind another veil, if we have the eyes to see it, that in fact the world would be deeply moved by if somebody could just point in the right direction, remove the veil just far enough back for them to be captivated. Sure. I think what's really opened my eyes has been to actually think about some of the messages that Baron, Michel Barron has, has given us and to just take that into the way I open up a book, to take that into the way I watch a film. You know, this morning, funnily enough, Jimmy, I was watching a, a real film, um, which might get me laughed at, really. It's Kung Fu Panda, okay, uh. you know. Uh, it's a cartoon. Um, I quite like these, I quite like these films, you know, um, and, you know, Kung Fu Panda is a bit off the rails, you know, it's a bit different. And some of the messages that, that come across are just fantastic. You know, be yourself. You don't have to be the person next to you. Nobody wants that. Um, but there are also some very subliminal messages that really make me think, oh my gosh, am I sure about that? You know, for instance, uh, just in that film alone, uh, in number three, Kung Fu Panda 3, okay, so yeah, I have them watch, watch quite a bit now. Um, but in Kung Fu Panda 3, they introduce the possibility, in fact, not just the possibility, but they make it a reality where Kung Fu Panda has two dads, 
instead of a dad and a mom and present it in the light that, you know, this is a completely normal reality that, you know, these two dads are providing the same sort of emotional care um, and, and background in life that a normal mom and a dad would provide for their kids. This is a children's programme. You know, this is something that has been put on the screens for every young person to see. And there isn't really that consideration about what they're putting across, I don't think. Um, or sadly, there is. Well, yeah. And it's, it's agenda-driven or, or even manipulative, right? Exactly. And I think that's what we've really got to be careful of. You know, in today's modern culture, there is so much good, so many good messages in that same film. It was that good message about, you know, you don't have to be anybody else other than yourself. But then there's also a very challenging message. Well, there's no need for a mom and a dad anymore. You know, if we all thought like that, there'd be no kids on the planet. There would be no, we'd die out. You know, this is an awful thing for humankind, generally speaking. And I think this really shows me that I have to sift the stuff that I watch, I listen to, I read. Notice the good but also see the things that aren't so good. Be attentive to that and realize that for my own human flourishing and for the flourishing of the other people around me, I should be encouraging some things and just casually perhaps saying, no, that's not a good book for me or that's not a good film or that particular thing that's going on in this film or book isn't the right message or the way I want to live my life. And that takes courage. Here we are on the Love Good Podcast with Jessamine Anderson, and it is really a special time of the year. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Jimmy. Oh, I mean, I do love the springtime. I love the whole journey, you know, as a Catholic going through Lent and feeling a bit in the desert to finally arrive at this place of glory and of resurrection. I mean, it's a very powerful thing, but the timing of the weather and all of this uh, opportunity to see family and to be with friends, it really is quite special, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I mean, on top of all of that, I'm eating all of the food I gave up for Lent. So it's a pretty good week. Sweet deal. Sweet deal. <laughs> but more important than the snack food that I gave up is the family that I get to spend time with. I know that you mentioned that Easter is very tied to family for you. And I know we talk a lot about um, culture and love good and, and the things that we cannot disconnect from culture are faith and family, which are all tied into Easter, right? And so my how to build a better culture this week is to focus on your faith and family in this time of Easter. Um, whether that is spending really intentional time um, in person with your parents, or maybe you live far away like I do, and I just need to make sure to be intentional about calling my parents, wishing them a happy Easter, praying for them, um, spending time with my friends and, and participating in church activities and praying with them. And um, it's a really beautiful way to foster relationship, to grow in community, and just to learn how to love each other more, which is what this season is all about. It's about the best love that was ever given to us, and it's a love that we need to share with others. This is really good, Jessamine, because as much as we talk about media around love good, there is nothing more important in building a better culture than loving our families well and loving God mm -hmm. and really allowing those relationships to be at the foundation of our lives and therefore truly the building blocks of culture. So as always, thank you and have an awesome rest of your week. Of course, and happy Easter, everyone. It's interesting. I just wrapped up two weeks across your hometown of Birmingham. Sure.
And every single day we are sitting down with young people, listening to their hopes, their dreams, their anxieties, their concerns, their real thoughts about modern society and culture, their hopes for even the church, any kind of barriers that they have to belief in God. It was all coming out in these conversations, 27 schools, well over 1,100 young people whose thoughts were all written down, collected, are now being streamlined into this document that will be handed off actually to Pope Francis himself in October. What's interesting is one of the common threads that I notice is a growing skepticism um, for the culture at large. In, in other words, they're becoming increasingly um, skeptical of what media, of what society is constantly berating them with. And then I think there's a great desire, even amongst young people, to be a bit more thoughtful and be a bit more discerning about what they intake. Um, there seems to be this almost post-relativism at work mm. where because nobody is really claiming any truth of their own, at least not without some degree of contradiction, they're kind of saying, well, to heck with it all. You know, somebody on behalf of the truth, um, proclaim it to me with love. You know, it's, it's almost like culture is there to be seized right now. Mm. And there's such a hunger and such an openness to it. For all those of us who are out there with young people in our lives, perhaps children of our own, uh, maybe we work with young people in schools or in churches um, across the world, you know, what, what would be your words to us? How can we better inspire young people and open their hearts to the true and the good and the beautiful and, and give them a sense uh, of that glory for which they were really made? Wow. Well, I would really think that it's all about rediscovering our moral compass really to be discerning you know young people know that they're getting mixed messages and they don't like it as you say people want something to follow and a certain way to live their life and i think the tendency is really about whether we live life superficially running after pleasure happiness as people think happiness is or are we really orientating our lives towards something that's a bit bigger that's more hopeful, that wants our human flourishing, you know? And the way to do that is to be patient, to have our eyes open. And I think most importantly, to have an objective other that isn't in our little bubble, isn't in our group of friends necessarily. Maybe someone that's a couple of years older than you, or if you're very old, maybe a couple of years younger than you, <laughs> that kind of just like, is a bit of a moral compass for you. Not that they've got the answers, but that you can bounce ideas off. Yeah. And I think that's really important that we don't get tunnel vision into just seeing, well, this is the way I see life and that's the only way and that's the right way. Sometimes we need uh, a brother to turn around and say, well, are you sure about that? And to be reasonable um, and to say, you know, what's going to help me live life better? What's going to make me happier in the long run rather than just in the next five minutes? That's huge. And I know there's been some key people along the way for me mm. who have been that that example of human flourishing, who have recommended uh, not just you know books and, and and movies and music, although that's a huge part of it, they've they've really just encouraged with their lifestyle a different way of being human. That is, like you said, much more hopeful, much more rooted, much more meaningful and significant. So as we close out this conversation, Toby, mm. I suppose the the best way to round it out is you know are there some books and some movies. Um, some albums that you've enjoyed in your lifetime or over the last six months that have really sure. moved you. You know, there's one that I keep recommending to everybody. 
It's got some definite religious undertones mm. uh, called I Am Margaret by Karina Turner. In fact, I think I've convinced a nice handful of people in the last month uh, to read it. And within 24 hours, most of them had started it and finished it. Uh, so again, that's I Am Margaret by Karina Turner. That That is my big recommendation for Definitely this Definitely going to get that one out. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Again, it's got some very hardcore religious undertones. Sure. You know, so... If that's not something people are ready for, don't recommend it. But if they are, go for it. You will not be able to put it down. It kind of reads like the Hunger Games, right? Uh, but in your life, Toby, recent or even historic, what have been those media recommendations that you wish the whole world had their hands on? Yeah, well, I think first of all, I have to say it's um, a very American TV series. I have to say it's Band of Brothers. Now, just the other day, I was talking to a, a couple of mates here at the seminary about Band of Brothers and how good it is. We were off on a run uh, up near the Doria Pamphili, up the Janaculum Hill, you know, for those of you that's not in Rome, that's up a huge hill and around some beautiful looking gardens, but it's like, yeah, 10k run from here. And we were just having to keep up with each other and look out for each other a bit. And actually, when I watched Band of Brothers, you know, set in the Second World War, going through some of the biggest atrocities you can even imagine, there are a group of men that are looking out for each other every step of the way. Um, you know, that fall back when somebody can't keep up with the pace. And sometimes that's me. And I need brothers like that. And so a bit of an example, like Band of Brothers, I think is brilliant. Um, the other thing I'd like to recommend, and I'm sure somebody's already done this, I guess, um, would be the uh, Lord of the Rings. Now, the Lord of the Rings, I hadn't read until this year. And everybody's like, pardon? You haven't read the Lord <laughs> of the Rings? You know, and it was one of these things that like, I just could not face reading because I knew it was such a cool thing. Uh, and I also knew that it had some religious undertones. And I think there was part of me that wanted to carry on going through and like get to a point where I've got such some, got a real chunk of time on my hands and now really want to you know, dive into this story. Those are my two biggest things, I think. That's excellent. Well, Toby, I know this is not going to be the, uh, the last time we hang out in Rome together. There's a lot of people just grateful for your incredibly posh accent, even though I'm sure in your mind you're thinking this isn't even Queen's English. But it is such a cool and amazing thing for me to see you on this journey, um, you know, far beyond a retreat in Alton, um, uh, a couple of weeks, you know, in Nashville, and even these repeated encounters in Rome. It's just very, very clear that beautiful things are unfolding in your life. And just know what a privilege it is for me to see that. And I know for everybody to listen in on that, even just for, you know, 20, 25 minutes on this podcast, it, it means the world. So uh, keep on keeping on. And uh, I know that I'm looking forward to many more conversations and moments like this. Thanks, brother. That's the thing about me and you. Can't tell the oil from the flame till we set the sirens off. The story burns the page You know my face is burning too Watching what we have made Lights are too loud Music too soft Yeah, the lights are too loud And the music too soft You're listening to Wildfire from The Rough and Tumble. 
This is currently featured as track two on the brand new Love Good Sampler, available for free at lovegoodculture.com slash free. What an incredible episode today, sitting down with Janae Trudell, uh, kind of towards the end of our conversations with her here in season one of the Love Good Podcast, and then this really incredible moment with Toby Duckworth. And Toby is actually still with me as we're recording this outro segment, so I thought, what better opportunity has there ever been for me to ask the question rather than one of our listeners and to let our guest answer it. So this is that moment in the show you've all been waiting for, question and answer, this time from me to Toby. Toby, what do you think is the biggest difference between culture and America? You had two weeks of that once. Maybe. Have you been there multiple times? Yeah, a few times. So maybe you could note some of the, the big differences um, that, that you would say are real, not not the perceived differences, not what we hear about in media, not what the you know the the news is constantly berating us with, but but the genuine and even healthy differences. But then obviously, what what also makes us more similar than perhaps people realize as Americans and as Brits? I think first of all, one of the biggest differences, and I, it's not perceived, it's true, is the way we speak. Okay, there are some ridiculous things. Like, for instance, we do not have a trash can. I did not know what that is. You know, it's a rubbish bin. Then from that, we can think about the the boot of the car. Yes, not the trunk. I don't even know what that is. Um, Let alone uh, chips. Now, chips are incredibly central to my life back in England. You know, I'm about to go home in a week back to England. And the first thing I want is chips and gravy. Now, you're probably thinking, what on earth am I talking about? Well, I'm basically talking about your French fries and, uh, and gravy. Do you have, yeah, you have gravy. I had that biscuits and gravy thing once. Oh, didn't like them. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so there are some definitely linguistical differences, although we are talking about the same things. But more importantly, okay, let's think of a, a real thing. We're, we're very cautious in the way we behave. Um, all of the time, so much so that it can kind of ruin our experiences. Um, obviously, not all the time. Um, but what I really liked in the States is that sense of adventure. You know, I love the idea of exploring. It's the sort of thing I read in storybooks, all of that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's exciting, sense of adventure. You know, going out, holding shotguns. I hate that thought, really. Um, and you know how I reacted to that, Jimmy. It wasn't good. But <laughs> but just that sense of adventure, the sense of a little bit of, of recklessness, but with, you know, it's always quite restrained, I would say, generally, in my experience. Um, but that boldness to kind of have that, you know, for me, that's that's a fantasy. I love the idea of adventure, but it's not necessarily an opportunity that I have day in, day out. Um, so yeah, I'm really blessed when I get to really have a bit of a cultural exchange, go to America and, you know, go on people's lands and shoot shotguns at bowling pins. Sorry, what do you call them? Skittles? Or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's, that's it really. That's so good. And I think you probably resonate a little bit with, with Bilbo or Frodo, you know, a little less confident in leaving Bag End, you know, and stepping out sure. of Hobbiton. And I suppose that's the whole nature of being American is, is we all come from different parts of the world. And I think especially to not understand our European heritage is to not understand what it means to be American. And for me, it's very much wrapped up in English life and culture. So it does feel like a little bit of a dream to me, by the way, 
uh, to have you as a friend, Toby, and to have you as just a, a great witness um, to a life of joy and a life of purpose and a life of passion. So, Toby, again, thank you. And to everybody listening, we can't thank you enough. It is an absolute privilege knowing that we've got people on multiple continents tuning in to Love Good Podcast every week. We're also really excited over the next two months, we're going to be uh, going on a fireside tour which is basically us in your living rooms um, all over New England, the Midwest, and the Southeast. I think as far west as Wichita, Kansas, actually, we'll be doing these Love Good Fireside Chats. We're coming in with live music and really engaging in a conversation about how we can build a better culture. If you're interested in coming out to one of those Fireside Nights or even interested still in hosting one, hopefully that tour will continue into the summertime. Just email info at lovegoodculture.com. We will get you hooked up. We're just so excited to be coming to a town near you and to really share life together, even if it is just for an evening. Uh, We thank the world of you guys. We can't thank you enough for bringing beauty to the forefront of your lives and of your culture, of even your families and your communities, and really being a part of a movement that we believe can change the world. So God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.